Welcome to the Pacific Forest Foundation's Talking Timber, where each week you meet the professionals behind the Northwest timber industry. Hi, and welcome. I'm Diane Mettler, Executive Director of the Pacific Logging Congress, and your host of Talking Timber. This week's episode is number one of two with Eric Kroom of Summit Machinery and Kroom Logging. He's going to talk to us about those machines you see out in the woods and their evolution into the future. Right now, though, I want to thank our sponsors, the Pacific Logging Congress and the Pacific Forest Foundation, both dedicated to providing sound technical education about the forest industry. This year, the Pacific Forest Foundation gave $22,500 in scholarships to future forestry professionals. You can check out their work at www.pacificloggingcongress.org and www.pacificforestfoundation.org. Also, we want to thank our sponsors, Timber West Magazine and Logging and Sawmilling Journal. You can subscribe to either or both for free just by going to their website, www.forestnet.com. Okay, let's hear now from Eric and how he got involved in the industry. So the little town that I grew up in is a place called Beaver, Washington. It's just outside of Forks, Washington. And there was two industries in that town. You either worked in a cedar mill making roofing, and the cedar industry is quite large then, or logging. And uh, unfortunately, I started work at an early age, and 15, 16 years old, I was working in cedar mills. And as soon as I was 17, I started logging because it made more money than the mills did. Most of my family worked in cedar mills and nobody really worked in the logging industry, but I had a few friends that was working in the logging industry. So I started setting chokers and worked for uh, a few years locally there. And then I went to Alaska for a year and worked on the rigging up there, came back home and uh, was working for a company called Fred Mo that great big yarder, still logging old growth. I got a lot of experience with uh, really good hook tenders, older people, older company. When that kind of wound down in the late 80s, I started running a lot of equipment for different companies. Um, I worked for CNC Logging and Warehouser, Longview, and learned how to run. Uh, stroke delimmers were new then. Uh, rotosaws were new then. So I really got exposed to a big change in the industry from big machines, big trees to more automated, um, you know, mechanical felling. So it gave me a good, a good introduction when I was pretty young into seeing what the equipment did when it replaced people or it took dangerous jobs, hard jobs. It was hard to fill, turned them into more of a technical job with an equipment operator and equipment manufacturers and that led me uh, right down the path of where we're at. When I was 26 years old, I was working for Warehouser and they had a competitive logging program. They called it the CLP. And when the CLP ended, I was adamant that if I could do it for them and make a bonus, I should be able to do it for myself and make a living. So when the CLP ended, I quit working for Warehouser. My wife, two little kids at home, and she was pregnant. And I just up and quit my job and decided I was going to start my own. Wow. I went from making pretty good money with pretty good security, pretty good insurance to making no money, no insurance. <laughs> happy wife. Um, and that's 
that's something everybody goes through. It's a, it's at least a five year process, if not 10 in order to start a company, maintain a company. The hardest part for sure is the first 10 years because you just don't have any equity in anything. You're starting from ground zero. Yeah. But the best move I ever made, I wish I'd have done it even earlier. (laughs) Once you get started on your own, it's, uh, it's very gratifying. It's twice the work and half the money. And as long as everybody realizes that going in, it makes it a little easier. So what were some of the challenges getting started there? So the biggest challenge is fear. Um, you got to <laughs> own fear about debt and, and finding people to work. No one knows who you are. The timber companies don't know who you are. So the only work you really get to look at is stuff that other people won't do. Okay. So you're inexperienced, you're young. If you have a good work ethic, you can get through it. Um, but you really get to pick from the bottom and you don't get the easy, good jobs. You get the really tough, hard jobs. And because of the experience I had with Fred Moe in the early years with big yarders and big settings, none of the stuff that was considered hard at the time seemed to scare me. Okay. I managed to, uh, log some very difficult jobs and assemble a crew, you know, I was young and healthy and doing most of the hooking and running equipment and mechanicing. I did all that myself. I still do all that myself for the most part. Um, But it definitely gave me an entryway into the industry by just outworking other people. Most loggers are hard workers. So if you're going to claim that you're outworking other folks that are doing that, it's seven days a week and it's, you better have a really patient wife and (laughs) it takes all the time and all the energy that you have and and even more I, the people say oh you need a great work ethic but i think also you might need a great passion for the industry itself to just yeah and i want never to really, do it. i never really started a business with making money in mind i mean we all mm-hmm. have to make a living but i really believe that profits is a and success is the money is a byproduct of the rest of it eventually you'll get there. You have to have money to buy fuel and pay labor and work. But if the only driving factor is money, there's easier ways to make money. And I don't think you can push yourself to do what is required. If you're not really passionate about it, you'll run out of energy. You, You have to love what you're doing and be willing to do it for free for a while or, or at least put yourself on the back burner with the things that you want. Yeah. Um, or, or you won't get through it. It's too hard. I, I know you're an amazing mechanic. Is that one of the things you could lean on while you were getting going? We, we grew up like really poor. I come from a very big family. And if you wanted something, you did it yourself. And if something broke, you fixed it yourself or you didn't have it. So because I couldn't afford mechanics, I just literally had to figure that out. I was very reliant on me and I learned a lot by breaking a lot of things and putting things together (laughs) wrong. But when you really have no choice, you do what you have to do to make it work. Luckily I'm fairly mechanical person anyway. Yeah. But it saved me a lot of money. It saved me a lot of downtime, saved me a lot of heartache being able to do that. Uh, 
You know, no one will go out there at, on a Saturday night at midnight and put a machine together and run it all day Sunday so you can load your log trucks on Monday. You can't buy that. You have to yeah. That, the fact that you can do it is amazing. I, I can barely set up the Zoom meeting, so. Yeah, well, it's harder <laughs> for me to get on the phone and set up a Zoom meeting is than, it, than it is to rebuild the transmission. So. <laughs> So they, so how you are co-owner in Summit um, Attachment. So how did that come about? So I logged pretty steady with, you know, three, four, five sides, a few tower sides, a couple shovel sides for about 15 years. And I'd seen some holes in the industry and the, and the holes were the big companies, I don't think really recognized what, we needed we needed some new tools in our industry everything was changing everything now is tree linked and automated through processors and you know trees are getting smaller and the prices are going down fuels going up labor's going up and if you keep doing what you've always done with increasing costs and challenges you'll never get anywhere yeah so I found myself just working more hours and everybody was doing that. You know, the only way to get ahead was just to work more. Well, when you run out of hours and days in a week, there's no, nothing left. Yeah. So I started playing around. I've always raced, drag raced and built my own cars and engines and stuff. So I was pretty familiar with working on things and designing and building things at a different level. And I just took some of that experience and, and started building cable machines whether it was a tong thrower or a yoder or something like that um i was very good friends with jim kirkpatrick that owned jewel manufacturing and and i'd went to jim with a few ideas and they were very busy at the time and you know couldn't really find anybody that was interested in helping me build anything so again i just went back in my shop in the middle of the night built some stuff myself do you just have a lot of stuff in your shop that you can build something or do you have to kind of invest in it or Everything we do is kind of out of steel, so I can run a cutting torch and I can weld and you come up with an idea and, you know, still to this day, I still draw things on the floor with chalk and cut them out and grind them and weld them together and um, that's just the way I learned how to do stuff. So I would, you know, I would log all day and I'd get home at six or seven and I would work on things in my shop till midnight, one o'clock in the morning and... I've never slept all that much. Um, as long as I'm interested in working on something I like doing, eating and sleeping is you do it when you need to. I guess. Okay. <laughs> but I did that for about a year and I just worked, you know, summit stuff. I'll say I had some contractors drive by and seen some equipment that I was using, started asking and then a few people wanted to buy some things. I really wanted to keep my logging company separate for a variety of reasons, liability being the biggest one. So I formed Summit with Bruce Skirdall. He had worked for Jewel and was uh, involved in hydraulic drums from the very beginning when they started putting them on logging machines. So it was a natural fit. So mm-hmm. I would do the mechanical side and he would do the drum side. We blended our, we blended our two uh, backgrounds I mm-hmm. guess you could call it. Yeah. And then I have a big advantage logging all the time because I know what the problem is at five in the morning. I know what the problem is with productivity and cost and associated downtime cost, what you can get your labor to do. So from a manufacturing point of view, 
I know what the problem is better than most any engineer does because they don't log. It's impossible for them to know what I'm faced with being a 30 miles out of a logging road that's 100 miles from the nearest part. So these things need to be simple. They need to be durable. Our machines are getting more and more sophisticated now, but I Mm -hmm. still am very um, industrial. Nothing is on that machine that isn't required and i i want the thing to run every day mm-hmm. the little tier four anybody listening to this will know tier four has been a disaster in our industry because we're not downtown where somebody will come over there and plug your computer in we're days out in the woods sometimes we'll go down for a exhaust issue on a new machine and no one will be available from the factory and we'll be broke down for three or four days and now i can't wow use any skill that I've ever had, which is mechanical, nothing I can do. It's in a little electronic box that isn't happy. So it's been super challenging for the industry. I'm trying to keep my products as simple as we can make them and be effective yet durable and run. Logging equipment really has to run 12 hours a day and it has to run five days a week the industry cannot take the downtime. We don't have enough excess to do that. Hi, we're going to take a quick break to thank our sponsors, the Pacific Forest Foundation and the Pacific Logging Congress, as well as Timber West Magazine and Logging and Sawmilling Journal. Due to the coronavirus, the 2020 PLC Congress has been moved to 2021, but they will still be holding the annual auction, December 16th, 2020. For more information, Just check out www.pacificloggingcongress.org and more information will be posted as it becomes available. Okay, back with our talk with Eric. And so for you guys, what are some of the pieces of equipment that you've come out with that you're most proud of? So that's a tough one because I am, so I do run some and I do run my logging company, but the people in this company, I think my place is to come up with what do, what do we need and then okay. i've managed to hire some very dedicated hard work of people most of them are young and have worked you know at some for 10 years so they're growing up with the company mm-hmm. it's their hard work and their dedication that really makes the equipment work if okay. i if i'm proud of anything i suppose it would be that i think someone has the ability right now to actually change the industry. I remember the industry changing when the first rotosaws came out. The industry changed again when stroke delimmers came out. Seeing that process and seeing it become commonplace. So the cable assist or tethering started. I'd seen some in New Zealand and, and I decided to make my own mainly again, because I didn't think I could afford to buy theirs. So We started building those. And I think being able to cable log with big machines in the middle of the night, being able to take all the boots off the ground, people criticize me and this company because we're taking away jobs. We're not taking away jobs. Um, Not in the sense that people think. Who really wants to stand out there in a pouring rain snowstorm for 10 hours a day? It's not a very fun job. never has been. Some people love it. I've always liked it. 
But given a choice to do something other than stand out there and set chokers in the pouring rain, you know, there was probably a wagon wheel manufacturer somewhere that was could make a better wagon wheel than anybody else could. But when the first car drove by, he became irrelevant. So it's really yeah. about moving with the times and the changing. Nothing stays still. It's all moving all the time. And I think with the automated yarders that we're building right now, you know, we got equipment around. Well, I got a pretty big footprint in, in Brazil and we've introduced them to cable assist and there's no cable machines there. There is no yarders there. They have lots of steep ground and we've introduced and helped them work with cable assisted skidders. Work oh, okay. very closely with Tiger Cat. I use a lot of their engineering. They're gracious enough to let me be an OEM purchaser of all the engines and pumps and drives and we share information back and forth. Um, big proponent of that company and what they've done. So for us, I think our our uh, our footprint will become the biggest. We've got a few yarders that I've built, full-blown yarders from ground up machines out there. Wow. They're very expensive, but they're very productive. The idea is to automate you know, following the farming community. If you took the automation away from farming, we would all starve to death. Um, watching farm tractors go out and farm all day and fuel themselves up and park themselves in the barn. We, oh, yeah. we got a long ways to go in automation in the logging industry. Um, and it's, there's no straight path there. We learn more from our failures then we do our success by far. Um, the yeah. ability to build machines at Summit, take them out into my logging company, which is very challenging for the guys in my logging company. Every time they figure something out, we have three more new things to figure out. And it's ugly. It's, you know, it's broken parts and it's days and days with no production and fighting to learn your way through that. If I couldn't do that in my logging company, and my whole thing is if I wouldn't buy it as a, I'm still more of a purchaser than I am a manufacturer. If I can't use the technology in my own company and make it make money and make my company better, I won't sell it. And that is my, that's my threshold is if I wouldn't buy that thing, I'm just not going to sell that product. That makes sense. And people that I know in this industry, the logging community, the owners, the worker, everybody's very smart it's a bum rap that it's a stupid logger out there. There are no stupid loggers. So those people are gone. They're broke. They don't exist. Yeah. Uh, so it's just different than the, the connotation of what logging is. It's much more challenging, much more sophisticated than the general public knows. Mm -hmm. So is that when you uh, have new employees or bring on new folks, um, are you looking for a certain kind of person, someone who's flexible and ready to learn? Is that kind of the things you're looking for? So my biggest gripe in the community, any community, is that the younger people, they've been told that they have to do certain, they've been told they have to go to college. They've been told they need to work in this world where you don't use your hands, you're not dirty, you're not greasy. You know, we have very high paying, high skilled jobs a big portion of what we do, we have engineers on staff. We have a laser and brake press. We have a lot of CNC programming. 
We have a lot of design stuff going on, but we still have welders. We still have, and I like people that will challenge themselves and think. Yeah. The problem with the younger community, they've been told they can't do those things. So to inspire younger guys into uh, really stepping out on a limb and challenging themselves and giving it 100% at work, the, it, my advice to anybody young is that you can do anything that you want. You can do anything you want if you're willing to. You know, it's easy to get information now. It's easy to yeah. find something that you're passionate about and do not listen to anybody about why you can't do it. You can do it. If it's being done, that means you can do it. And uh, young people just need to be inspired. They need to know that, that they can do it. I have zero education. I come from a big family, from a little teeny town, not a lot of opportunity. It's just hard work and perseverance. Um, yeah. It's amazing what you can do if you push yourself into doing it. And I use the analogy to go run 200 yards down the road in front of my house as fast as you can. And now I'm going to put a really mean dog behind you. And if your time improves, then you really never tried hard enough. <laughs> but it's true. I mean, it's absolutely true is you really don't know where your limits are until you push everything right to the limit and try literally as hard as you can. Um, yeah. So young, young, younger people, if I see an, an awful lot of them that just kind of wander through life. And they all kind of say the same, oh, I wish I had opportunity. There is opportunity everywhere. I mean, it's yeah. there. I want to see some young guys that are smart, want to do stuff. I really like getting into the communities, the logging community, and I want to hear what these owners, I want to work on a little different level. Every logging company owner, everybody that works in the woods has got some ideas in their heads. Mm -hmm. willing to share those ideas and put them on paper and cut them out of steel and go try them. It's actually quite fun and exciting to do that. We want to thank our sponsors, the Pacific Forest Foundation and the Pacific Logging Congress, as well as Timberwest Magazine and Logging and Saw Milling Journal for making this podcast possible. And of course, the biggest thank you goes out to Eric Kroon for taking part in Talking Timber. Stay tuned for the second part of this interview. Okay, until next time, take care.